All right, welcome back to Wrestling Retold and Relive with Richie Mars. I am, of course, am your humble, gracious host, Richie Mars. And today, it's been it's been a year since I last talked about a WWE diva, so I guess I'm kind of due for it. And I couldn't think of a better person to help me with this. You could find her on TikTok at Chrissy underscore Tina 16. My good friend, Chrissy Tina, how are you today? Hello, Richie. Hi, babies. How is everyone doing today? I'm doing well, and I'm very, very excited to be invited onto your podcast. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Of course, of course. I always let people who have good takes on wrestling on the podcast, and you fit the bill. But before we get into our topic today that you have so chosen, tell us a little bit about your wrestling fandom. Give us like a cliff note version of it. So once again, my name is Chrissy Tina on TikTok and other various social media platforms. I pride myself on being the positive person when it comes to wrestling, because we all know that wrestling can be kind of a dark place. And sometimes you just need a light at the end of the tunnel. So we try and be as positive when it comes to nostalgia, when it comes to current day workers, because at the end of the day, these people are putting their bodies on the line for our entertainment and they deserve to all be seen and appreciated and heard. And we try and keep it as nice and sweet on my side as possible, unless, you know, things like what's been happening over the past couple of weeks have been happening. But, you know, we try and keep it as cool on my side of the pillow as possible. And just full disclosure, we're recording this on February 3rd, and this is coming out on the 13th. So if anything <laughs> releases between now and then and we don't talk about Pray it. Pray for us. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we might have to re-record this. Who knows? But anyway, that's good. Always follow Chrissy on Instagram, on the TikTok, all her socials. But now, Chrissy, you have picked a very... Very special topic, of course, that being the WWE Divas, but specifically from the attitude, ruthless aggression, all the way till that Divas revolution or women's revolution. Why this topic in particular is close to your heart? This topic has always been very close to my heart because I always felt like someone that loved something that didn't fully love me back. I've loved wrestling since I was young. Um, the very first pay-per-view I ever remember really being able to engage myself in with St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And this is as this has been something that's taken care of me most of my life. And being a woman watching a sport where women have not always been treated correctly, it's always given me a conflicting feeling where the thing that gives me the most comfort wouldn't love me back if I were to be involved in it. And I've always hoped and wanted the most for these women to be able to thrive and succeed in their careers just for hope that if one day myself or someone that I care about would want to get involved in this industry, that they would be happy and safe while they're there. So being able to watch these women grow and leave or grow and become frustrated or grow and become happy and successful, I'm very involved with all of their stories because I see myself in every single one of them. Now, you did mention your first pay-per-view being the uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre that you would watch over and over. And the Attitude Era specifically, at least for the women's division, there wasn't really much depth or really much focus on it other than the 18 to 40, 18 to 39 male demographic that they were trying to get at that time. You know, they were very outspoken, 
uh, Vince Russo has been about the uh, watching Jerry Springer on in the background while writing Monday Night Raw, just getting these raunchy ideas. And that's pretty much where television was at this point in time for the women's division. Now, my question is to you is hypothetically, let's say they do what they're doing now with the women in WWE, but back in the Attitude Era, you know, a lot more focused stories, a lot more focused and uh, respectable characters and gimmick where they're just not like, you know, a piece of eye candy. Do you think that transition would have been accepted well in the world of the 90s, early 2000s, than it would be when they started doing that in like 2015? I believe that at first there would have been some pushback. I mean, this was the era where Woodstock 99 was a thing. And that was very much the MTV generation way of thinking, um, unfortunately so. The fact that Vince Russo was even using Jerry Springer as a jumping off point for most of the storylines is actually a little bit terrifying. But I believe with time these women would have been able to be appreciated for what they were doing. Like I know WWE loves to mention that Trish Stratus and Lita were the very first ever women's main event on Monday night raw. And they were very highly respected. They got amazing pops. They had amazing crowd reactions. Everyone loved it. And there was no real issue with it afterwards. I honestly feel like it's something that, It's not something that WWE was scared that the crowd didn't want. It's something that they themselves believed that no one would want to be interested in. So I think they talked themselves into that corner and just didn't believe it could be any other way, unfortunately. And that's why they painted themselves as, look at all of our women in these brawn panties matches and schoolgirl uniform matches, as opposed to giving these women legitimate storylines and training where they could fully show their capabilities. Let's talk about some of the women of the Attitude Era because you have Jacqueline, you had Sable, you had Luna Vachon, you had Trish, Lita, like you mentioned, and then you had other newcomers like Tori, Stacey Keeler, Ivory was also there, Molly Holly was there, and there was a pretty clear divide, at least for me watching and watching back, uh, the women that they were pushing and the women that were kind of the mechanic role, if you were to describe them you know they were the the lady wrestlers and what was confusing to me was they would always make fun of you know the women who were actually working or wrestling like a molly holly like a jacqueline like a uh jazz the other ones yeah Yeah. exactly and it was really confusing because like when they would like seem muscular you know like a like a china even even though she wasn't really much of a focus of the women's division, but they would always kind of make jokes on their appearance, whether it was too muscular or it was too this or not being feminine enough. Do you think Mm -hmm. that stereotypical role, uh, that box that they would put WWE divas in was hindering the growth of the divas and women's division at large? Oh, absolutely. No question. The fact that these women of all shapes and sizes and skin colors were judged for having athletic physiques in a sport, which is absolutely abhorrent to me. These women that were either extremely athletically, you know, athletically capable, both in build and ability were made fun of for being able to do so. 
or the more quote unquote feminine seem, feminine seeming women, such as a Tori Wilson or a Stacey Keebler were made fun of for when they were attempting the man's moves while trying to wrestle Stacey Keebler from what I've seen and from what I've heard from podcasts and interviews that she's done begged to be able to get trained. She already had a gymnastics background, begged to be able to get trained to do more. And they scoffed at her because why would the eye candy need to be able to do anything else? The fact that these women were crying into a void and not being able to be heard is completely heartbreaking. Now seeing where they are now, it, it gives me so much joy and takes such a weight off of my shoulders knowing that there has been growth. Can there be more growth? Absolutely. There's no such thing as stopping, you know, like you, you never stop learning. You never start, you never stop growing. WWE can always do better when it comes to their women's divisions, but in comparison to where they were to where they are now, it's completely night and day. But back then it completely hindered these young women, especially the women of color, like jazz and Jacqueline and ivory that were feminine presenting in their aesthetics and their clothing choices and their color schemes and their music. But because they were of color and slightly more masculine, all of a sudden they're pushed to the wayside because they're not what they feel like the crowd wants to see, unfortunately. But that's what it was with WWE back in that time period. And it's really interesting to see who they had anchor the women's division, at least who would, be the face of the women's division in WWE Attitude and Ruthless Aggression Era because you had Sable, you had Trish Stratus, you had Tori Wilson, and you had Stacey Keebler who were the big one, the big four that they would promote, so to speak. And a lot, and they all looked relatively the same, you know, you know, big, mm -hmm. blonde, tall blondes, tall blondes, you know, and and I think that really killed like the diversity and interest because. If everyone kind of looks like a Barbie, you know, like a Barbie doll, not saying that anything wrong with that, but it's just like if everyone looks the same, looks, talks the same, storylines are the same, then it's like we're getting invested in the same character, but there's like four different clones of it. And then it kind of gets lost in translation from different stories. And if you have all those as baby faces, hypothetically, then it's almost like you're mutating like uh it's like having like four john cena's one 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 was enough for me <laughs> while growing up you know it, it's like everyone needed their distinct personality and with the women they didn't really seem to get any of that unless they did a turn or unless there was a off-the-wall character like you had a mighty molly when molly holly went to uh be hurricane psychic or a um Victoria like Victoria yeah, yes yeah. exactly yeah with Victoria especially and like her introduction story was amazing for the time you know being a fitness model who was modeling with Trish Stratus and then got a psycho obsession with her because Trish made it to WWE first just a good story of introducing this character and at that time they weren't interested in telling stories with the women unless it was hey you're good looking hey you're eye candy hey you're this but enough about the negative side of that. Let's let's appreciate the the woman I just mentioned. You know, a Tori Wilson, a Stacy Keebler, a uh, Trish Stratus, a Molly Holly, a Victoria. Everybody involved because they anchored a division at that time that wasn't getting a lot of time, and they are still being 
talked about as pioneers of this division in general. And even though it was kind of the eye candy era, I guess you would say, they still left their own mark and impact of trying to improve their craft, even though the majority of them, that wasn't their chosen field or chosen world. And absolutely, my question to you is, with history looking upon, you know, Tori, Stacy, all these people who aren't fundamentally trained, they're either trained by Fifth Henley or on the road. How do you think history... Uh, speaks to them in ring wise and presentation wise compared to today. I believe that what these women went through puts them in an even more positive light than people could possibly understand. Knowing that these women were glass ceilinged, that these women were stopped in their tracks left and right. Knowing that, you know, hindsight's always 2020 after the interviews after the cons after the fan meet and greets real stories come out over the years and i believe that these women are now getting the just due that they've always deserved because now it's like wow not only were you in the eye candy era but you you fought you tried to fight when no one thought that you were So finding out that these women were fighting tooth and nail to be seen, to be put on television, to be be taken seriously, I personally feel like that garners just even more respect for what these women went through, like a Tori Wilson, like a Stacey Keebler, like the ones that people just assumed that they were blonde, ditzy women, when in reality, they did have a mind for marketing. They did have a mind for what they wanted to be doing in the WWE while they were there. They were just never given the full opportunity to. So I have nothing but the utmost respect for these women, knowing that even though they probably had a gut feeling that they were never going to get their just to do, they still worked their asses off regardless. Because if it wasn't going to happen for them, it was going to happen for the next group of girls, which it has. So I'm incredibly grateful for that group of women for going through everything that they had to go through, because even though they may not have gotten the benefits that they just so deserved, the generations afterwards did. And we're we're kind of indebted to them in a way. And it really does uh, lead credence to the, the saying that a lot of people give, you know, maximizing your minutes. And these women didn't have enough time compared to the guys, but even if they had three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, maybe they left an impression on an audience. And so much so that they do get callback spots in Royal Rumbles. They do get spots offered in cons because people remember what they did for the industry. And now I'm going to fast forward a little bit, something that kind of impacted the divas uh, division for better, for worse, the diva search. Oh, (laughs) so there is uh, let me get ready for this one. There is a uh, story that the ta- head of talent relations at the time, I won't say his name because he has enough trouble currently in the name redacted in the federal court of law, but the story goes he would hire people off of lingerie care like lingerie centerfolds or like Victoria's Secret magazines and just like pick the model up and they would call modeling agencies. They would hire somebody off of like you know a hooters restaurant you know it not exactly how to 
find the best female wrestlers in the world, they were, their mentality was, you know, casting call, let's hire the, the ones we think are the most attractive. And if that's where you're basing your uh, talent search in, like, don't get me wrong. Appearance has a place in the WWE and professional wrestling in general. People like the superhero looking people, the larger than life on TV. Look at Jade Cardgill. She looks like she just like came out of a comic book. She looks Absolutely. like, and she looks like she could defy reality. And I think the focus on diva search was just seeing which one's going to be our next, like, you know, Trish Tori and, they were just kind of focused on, hey, this worked once before when we were going through like, you know, the fitness model stuff and everything. And they inherited all those people from WCW, like a Tori and Stacy that had fitness backgrounds that they thought, oh, let's give it the old college try and have like a, an audition. How did you like the diva search in compared to something like a tough enough? Did you like it? Did you not like it? What were your thoughts on it? See this is very personal to me because this is at a very particular time in my life when it came to being a wrestling fan where I was going through a very highly internalized misogynistic phase where I hated anything that seemed too overtly feminine or too overtly pink or too overtly soft and sweet because that's not what the wrestlers liked. The main wrestlers at the top of the card were all big, massive, masculine, aggressive men so I wanted to be a star in my head in the thing that I love the most, which is the WWE, being a soft spoken, cute woman wouldn't do that for me. So I started kind of in harboring hatred towards those diva search girls or towards the ones like a Tristratus or like Alita when she first started, when they were kind of advertised as anything but athletes, that they were just there to be pretty faces not realizing that this had nothing to do with the women themselves in real life. They came in for a job. Wrestling at the end of the day is a job like anything else, no matter how much you love it, no matter how much you call it home, it is a job with a paycheck. These women showed up like they were asked to do the things that they were asked to do. And we faulted them for it. A lot of people I know did not like the diva search women. And if you were to ask them why you did not like them outside of them being overly feminine, they couldn't give you a legitimate reason as to why they did not like the diva search women other than that. And it's incredibly unfortunate because we got Maurice, who is probably one of the better characters in the divas division during that time to come out of the diva search. I believe that the Bella twins were also diva search winners as well. These people did, they, um, what does Cody Rhodes always say? He made chicken salad at a chicken shit. Mm -hmm. You have to do what you have to do to make these things work. And if getting your foot in the door means you have to, unfortunately, be a part of 80 bikini contests to get on screen, these women to, were willing to put their pride aside for the thing that they were wanting to do. And I commend that. They had to swallow their pride and bite their tongue for something that they saw could possibly be a future for themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sometimes you have to bite the bullet and that's what these women did. And not everyone is willing to do that. And I give them incredible credit for that now. And Should have always, but more or less, but way more now than ever before. And I really want to give the credit to the Diva Search signees who didn't win the competition that later 
came and became good workers out of it. You had Michelle McCool. Uh, I believe Layla was a part of it. I think Eve Torres was a part of it. I believe Maria Canellis. She was a part of it at one point. Then you had Joy Giovanni. You had Alicia, like not Alicia Fox. I think Alicia Fox was part of was one of them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and uh, Amy Weber, that's who I was thinking of. Amy Weber, mm-hmm. too. She was a uh, part of JBL's cabinet. And that was a very, that was a faction of all time of my childhood. That was a time in life. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and we are in this ruthless aggression era phase. And we're, <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about this one. Uh, so this is the beginning of the ruthless aggression era phase where people say it's that 2002 era. And of course, there's the big critical storyline that they were happening during this time. You know, you had your Katie Vicks, you had your Al Wilson, uh, Don Marie storylines, but this one is HLA, also known as Hot Lesbian Action. Now, looking back on it, didn't age well. Not at all. And... It just seemed like a poor attempt to be raunchy just for the sake of being raunchy and trying to recapture that Attitude Era glory days. Do you think this was the low point of the women's division or do you think we still have a ways to get there? HLA was not the low point of the women's division in my personal opinion. Um I believe it came a little bit before that, actually. Don't get me wrong. HLA was bad. The segment they did with Stephanie McMahon with her father signing off on that segment was also bad. But my low point is split between two particular things. It's the infamous promo where Vince has Tristratus barking like a dog. Didn't love that, me personally. And... All of the ways that Stephanie McMahon was shot camera wise during the um, during her era as SmackDown GM. The fact that they had her not relying on her incredible wit and business prowess, but the fact that she was a woman flirting with Eric Bischoff to try and get over on him to get the better deal for SmackDown and us all knowing in the background that her father, her real life father was signing off on these storylines. The fact that Stephanie McMahon was getting shot from behind legs up before we ever saw her face. These small little details showed me that they didn't care because if you're going to put your highest, your, your, your highest level woman, which is one of the bosses of one of your shows as also a sexual object, then what hope do I have? <laughs> what hope do the others have? What hope do the women who are storyline underneath her have if the boss is also getting overtly sexualized? That was one of the more lower points for me, unfortunately, as a fan. I do not believe that we will ever fully go back there again, which is very, very um, happy for me. I do believe that humans will make mistakes and there will be possibilities of mess ups in the future. Cause once again, no one's perfect, but in terms of going back to the dark ages, I really don't think that we ever should have an excuse at least to go back there again. Yeah. The whole Stephanie shots, uh, like provocative shots when she was general manager, 
oh, I always found weird, not because it wasn't an attractive woman that was being shot, but because the guy who was behind the <laughs> the other side of the camera was her father. And they even confirmed on Vince McMahon's DVD when Stephanie was pregnant that he pitched an angle for him to be the father of her child. And then when she said no to that, then he decided to pitch that her brother would be the father of the child. And that I don't know who would want that. I don't know what audience that's trying to get. Uh, I'm not sure if it would, what storyline that would progress, but thankfully we're not in that kind of. That's one thing. That's one thing that WWE or WWF at the time never really made sense to me is just how much they underestimate the mental capacity of their fans to where they would think that someone would want that. Pardon me. Um, but I will never forget. It's been circulating a lot online right about now that promo where Stephanie comes into her father's office yelling at him. And something she says is, you don't think I know all those dinners when I was 17 with your business partners, what you told them that I would do. And I did it for you. I did it because I wanted to be like you, dad. And you can audibly hear the crowd in the background go like, oh, oh. like, mm, I didn't, yeah, she got, did what? Got, like, what got a mean? little bit too real. And WWE thinks, hopefully not anymore, but they thought so lowly of their 18 to 35 male demographic that they legitimately thought that necrophilia and incest storylines were the hot ticket item to get people in the seats. Mm-hmm. It's very confusing. <laughs> Wrestling's weird. And like somebody said it was like a redneck anime. And I'm just like, I hate that because it's, it's true. It's, to, to, it's to, more to, accurate to, than to a man. And Again, now we're going a little bit forward. We're going into more deep into the ruthless aggression era. You know, the two uh, like two thousand six to like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, right before PG or right around PG. And you had people like Mickey James, Michelle McCool. You had Melina. You had Candice Michelle. You had Beth Phoenix. And I really like these crop of women right here. And I think a lot of them are vastly underrated, as we see. Mickey James still killing it. Beth Phoenix, whenever she returns, kills it. Melina, it, it was unfortunate what happened on her Rumble appearance, but she's great shape as always. Candice Michelle did very, I thought she did very well in the role she was given, you know, being a Divas mm-hmm. Church winner and then being basically the gatekeeper of that Raw Women's Division. What were your thoughts on this crop of new women after the old guard, like a Trish, Lita, Tori? Uh, Victoria all kind of quietly or they just retired from the business in general. So this crop of women is for me personally, when you can kind of start to see the light coming towards the end of the tunnel in terms of in-ring work, in terms of character work. Unfortunately, this is also the era of the body shaming storylines for the divas Um, Piggy James is not something that anyone should look back on in fondness. The fact that they told a very impressionable teenage me that Mickey James was overweight and disgusting did not do a lot for my mental health (laughs) at that time. A lot of other young women that I am aware of that loved wrestling during that time 
were also very much affected when commentary would call Natalia and Beth Phoenix when they were in a tag team together, you know, like men shaped or ugly. And you mean to sit in my face and tell me that you look at Natalia and Beth Phoenix and these gorgeous, tall, athletic women are ugly to you? Cool. Great. I'm just going to go give up on everything. Because if I can't meet that, I don't know what else I'm going to do. But these women, once again, were fighting back against odds that were set up for them decades before. And you can kind of slowly start seeing the glass break in the ceiling. It's not a full, it's not a full revolution, but it's starting to get there. And I'm so incredibly grateful and happy for these women, Beth Phoenix, especially because Beth Phoenix showed that you can have a bodybuilder's big bodybuilder's physique, even though I don't believe she was that big, but that's what they build her as. But that style of physique that Beth had and to be as graceful and beautiful and talented as she was, Beth did so much more than people will ever realize for the women's division, for a woman like Jade Cargill, for a woman like Bianca Belair with that style of physique. And even to go back before that, Jacqueline and Jazz did something very similar as well. So these women may not realize it, but they're always building upon each other's previous work to help elevate the next group of girls. And this group definitely solidified that you can be both beautiful, but also be incredibly talented and sharp with your in-ring prowess. And I'm so grateful for them for that. You said something very interesting. Uh, You said, you mentioned the Piggy James storyline, which has been heavily criticized amongst people (laughs) as well, which which was so weird to me personally because you look at mickey james she she she's in great shape especially at the time she was in pretty good shape and you you compare it to like like there there's been fat shaming uh recently with uh diana perrazzo too and i was confused because i'm like really that like this is the thing that you choose to like focus your attention on you know and then you, you look on the male side and people, you know, fat shaming Eddie Kingston and just like shaming someone for their body image in general. When we're living off legends like a Dusty Rhodes uh, for the females, you know, awesome Kong. Yeah, Butterbean was a huge thing yeah, yeah, like, in wrestling for a long time. Yeah, and awesome Kong, who we're going to get to right after this, like pioneered the uh, women's division in Japan and TNA. And it was just confusing to have these body shaming like uh, storylines because it didn't make me hate Michelle McCool or Layla anymore. It just felt very mean and unnecessary. And I'm like, oh, like people will be like, oh, yeah, they're heels. okay, but it's just like that just seems like a very trivial thing to like now if they played it more like a mind game and not like a whole mocking uh scenario maybe that could have been better but it was more of people just like like wwe was trying to massage in your brain like mickey james is out of shape which she in my opinion at the time she wasn't and i i will give like i won't give wwe like that much credit but the ending of the storyline was exactly what it needed to be you know, it was oh, absolutely. it was a 30 second beat down 
<laughs> you know, and then like Mickey wins the title, which is exactly how it should be. Does that mean it justifies the entire story? No, just because just because I sat through a crappy movie and the ending was sweet doesn't mean the movie was good. It means I left happy, but like that that hour and a half where I'm sitting there miserable, I'm not going to get back. Yeah, WWE's big issue is that you it's painfully obvious that there's no women in the writers' rooms, especially during those eras, during Attitude Era, Ruthless Aggression. It's painfully obvious that there's no women in those writers' rooms because it looks like they're getting their women's dialogue from what, like Beverly Hills 90210, the OC, One Tree Hill at the time. Like they're having these grown adult women speak like teenagers, Mm -hmm. what stereotypical teenagers would say. As you said, they were like, oh, they're heels. They're going to say mean things. The men's division never body shames other wrestlers. Other men in the men's division. It's only solely for the women's division that they did it so often that it became a trope. Yeah. Like they would body shame, like in the men's, they would body shame if it was like, you know, Big Show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But Big Show was a heel at the time. You know, with Mickey James, she was positioned as the top face on the SmackDown brand. And you're trying to build her up as the head babyface of that show. But. Then when you're just saying like, oh, she's out of weight, she's overweight, she's this, she's that, it it doesn't make me want her to get revenge. It just makes me feel like, like this is just such an unnecessary thing to like, yeah. like, like go, like, like talk about because it's like obviously that it, it's one of those things where it's like a story that you you know you're not sure if it teeters on reality or if it teeters if it doesn't affect her at all. But there are people who actually legitimately deal with issues like that and. The, the payoff wasn't worth the journey to get there is I think pretty much my point in this time and going to pivot to the muscular woman like a Beth Phoenix and the fantastic pairing she had with Santino, you know, Glamorella. And this happened, I wouldn't say a lot, but with, with the women, especially around this time, they were kind of known for just one storyline. And after mm-hmm. that storyline was done, they would kind of get, rotated back like with mickey james she had the tristratus thing uh with beth phoenix you know glamorella all that with candace she had her women's championship run done and then they would either get drafted or kind of get slowly phased out did you notice that sort of pattern of they would win the women's championship and then they wouldn't really be a force on television after that oh absolutely it's like the end of a television series. It's a series finale. It's never the same for the men because they immediately go into another storyline somehow, some way. But with these women, they would win their championship, run with it for a little while, lose it eventually. And then they would either never be seen again, in my personal opinion, at least not on television, or they would just somehow, some way, end up in a slightly different multiversal version of the same storyline. Mm-hmm. And it's so unfortunate because I would have loved to have seen what Beth Phoenix could have done with more character. Not saying that she didn't naturally have character onto herself. I mean, WWE taking advantage of the character that she was. The character building that she could have done on her own. Same thing with a Mickey James. Same thing with a Gail Kim. Gail Kim has done incredible work in TNA. Incredible work in Impact. Work that she could have been doing in the WWE. But they pigeonhole these women 
into exact molds that can't break. And then when they realize that they've written themselves into a corner with these characters, they immediately jump ship and just jump onto the next person because they just didn't see any benefit in growing these characters, having these characters evolve into somebody else. And it's incredibly unfortunate. I'm so happy that Mickey and Gail have gone into other um, corporations like TNA have been able to grow their brand and develop their brand. I'm happy with someone a little bit more recent, like Naomi, also known as Trinity. She wasn't getting used as well as she could have been and left and grew her brand. And now they wanted her back as they should. They should have never let, let, let her go in the first place. But once again, this group of women, I think also has shown what can be done in terms of everything, in-ring work, character work, promo, speaking. And I love Attitude Era and beforehand, but this particular group of women very much gives me the SmackDown 6 vibes. I know that there's more than six of them, but that group of women is really what cemented the change, no matter how slow it was, into what we have now. Mm-hmm. And they deserve all of their flowers and then some. Absolutely. Especially when you mentioned uh, Gail Kim and Mickey James and Trinity. Uh, Naomi with TNA how important do you think that the TNA knockouts division was in progressing women's wrestling in the United States TNA it's a very very odd kettle of fish for me because I was never a TNA person until I started hearing about the knockouts division and I'm sorry I would love to watch people in wrestling in the sport that I love more than anything else that look like me, that look like me. Even it may not be the same body type, but you know, like I would love to see more women. So I tuned in and I saw, I believe it was Gail Kim and Awesome Kong having a match together and it ran 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, wow, this match is going real long. <laughs> this match is, this match is, is getting some time. But 10 to 15 minutes is normal. WWE was just giving their women three to four minutes for their matches. That's what's crazy to me is that it took a quote unquote secondary brand to show me what a women's division could really do when there's love and effort and pride put behind it. When the women are involved in what's going on, when you speak to them about their promos, their character, what they want to be doing, when you show that you legitimately care, everyone else will as well. But the higher ups have to care first. And TNA is what showed me when the company is behind the women, what can really truly be done. And it's beautiful work. I will say uh, the knockouts division didn't open up a lot of eyes, myself included, to what women can actually do when you give them the necessary time, the necessary storylines. Because Awesome Calm, Gail Kim, one of the best women's storylines, not only in TNA history, but just women's wrestling history in general. I will say when I believe this happened during the Hogan regime and... uh, (laughs) It's my most hated match type of all time. And no, it's not the handcuffed to the steel cage match, though that was oh, pretty bad. Jesus. So you, you might remember what this is. This was an eight person or eight woman tag team match. It was called the Lockbox Challenge. And the concept of it is that there are two teams, two teams of four, and there are going to be four falls in the entire match. And it doesn't matter which team scores the fall. So it's like, 
let's say person A pins person B, person A gets a key and person B is eliminated and person A leaves because they have a key. That goes until there is four people who hold a key and the prizes were the <laughs> Victoria, a.k.a. Tyrus Spider, a contract for a future knockouts championship, the knockouts championship, and <laughs> the last one is you perform a striptease in the middle of the ring. And spo- spo- spoiler alert, the, the striptease didn't happen because then you'd be kicked off the television on Spike TV. But it it just, it, it's one of those things where it's, I feel like they tried to, and WWE when they did the Attitude Era and Ruthless Aggression Era, they tried to make the women a gimmick. You know, it's almost like it became, uh, like I know like little people or micro brawl brawler wrestling is a thing and people treat that and treat that for such a long time, like a gimmick when it's actually like now it's its own legit thing, but they pr- treated women like it was almost akin to a gimmick match. Like it's like, Oh, it's like, a, Oh, it's no disqualification. Oh, it's the women's match up next, you know? And it's like, it was their own specific box and universe. Do you think that separation between the women and the men kind of or not kind of just hindered the women in general of developing more personality if they weren't able to interact and bleed with because i have a similar thing with the for a long time when it was like the tag team division the mid card division and the main event scene where it was like everyone was in their own cast system and you didn't interact with anybody under your cast system like john cena and randy orton would only interact with each other Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler only interact with each other and there was like no upward or downward mobility. Do you think the women suffered from that? The women were treated like a sideshow attraction at a carnival. Come look at all of these beautiful women that they have. Look at all of these schoolgirl uniforms that they're wearing. Look at this giant vat of whipped cream that they are randomly wrestling in. This is what these companies, not just WWE, but this is what these companies delegated to these women. I will never forget. I think, I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Vicky Guerrero wrestled to try and keep her job and then lost her job. And the jo- and the match that it was in, I think it was her versus Stephanie in like a, in like a mud, in like a mud wrestling match. That, that's correct. Yes. And this is the widow of Eddie Guerrero. I'm sorry. What do you mean? And this was 20, that she's this was 2014. Yeah. 2014. Yeah, it's not that long ago. Yeah, it's only 10 it's years, really not yeah. that long ago that these women are fighting for titles, titles that we're told that we need to respect championship belts that we're saying that we need to respect the belt that Luna Vachon held, the belt that um, Moolah held, that Mae Young held, that Trish Stratus held. These women that we're told to respect in the analogs of history to have these belts be defended in Thanksgiving cosplay matches is absolutely insanity to me. Insanity to me. Of course they're not going to get respected either in real life or in the confines of storyline by the wrestlers in the upper enchilon, because why would I associate myself with someone that's wrestling in a cat costume? Mm-hmm. Of course, the other wrestlers were not going to do it either storyline wise or otherwise. Of course, this was going to hinder the growth of these women, because when we're talking about wrestling the next day in school or at the water cooler, no one's going to want to bring up the fact that, you know, 
um, Natalia and Mickey James had a bikini contest. They're going to talk about the real wrestling, the real matches. Those are the bathroom breaks. So we, we were talking about, you know, the women were like a sideshow attraction, like you said. And something that I think not a lot of people expected was the women never really got a breakthrough, in my opinion, until Total Divas came on the air because it gave the women's a platform to actually show off and a show whether it's scripted or reality i love reality tv all the same so i tuned in and it was pretty cool to see what their lives were like backstage even if it was scripted to a certain degree what were your thoughts on total divas as a show and do you think it gave the women a necessary platform to then kind of parlay onto television in terms of Total Divas, my family growing up, my cousin in, um, in particular, was a huge reality show junkie. She was a Jersey Shore girl. She was an, um, a The Hills girl. She was a big MTV reality person. So being able to have a civilian come into my world and be involved, it yeah, it helped more eyes get on the product, especially on the women's division itself, because it was a women's division-based reality show. So in terms of the show itself helping, absolutely it did. Should it have taken a reality show to get these women to get, you know, like to have people realize that these are real people with lives? No, it shouldn't have taken a reality show to do that. But absolutely, like being a woman in most cases, sometimes you gotta take the scraps that you're given to make something bigger. These women were on Total Divas and villainized for being on Total Divas when in reality, that's sometimes the only way that they would get any form of TV time because they weren't getting it on the regular show. But yes, I absolutely do believe that this began people paying more attention to the women's division in any way. Um, There's that saying, there's no such thing as bad press. So you have to take all those eyes that are on you and turn them into something that's more positive for your character in the long run. And I feel like no one did it better than the Bellas. These women are now social media moguls. They all have individual companies onto themselves. They're all incredibly successful. And these women started off as girls that wanted to be soccer players. They wanted to train to become legitimate soccer players in their lives. They loved the sport but they took something from diva search and grew it and grew it and grew it into something now that they're immensely successful. And I'm incredibly happy for them and I'm proud of them. And this is someone who hated the Bellas as characters because their character work was so good. I believe that people took the hatred too far in that era where they started legitimately hating the women themselves, forgetting that they're playing characters. Wrestling's fake y'all. I'm sorry to tell everybody who's like just finding this out, but you have to work with what you're given. And these women took legitimately nothing and turned them into multi-million dollar deals. Not everyone can do that. Some of the men in the industry haven't done that. So for people to say that Total Divas wasn't the biggest deal, I completely disagree. But on your point on when it started turning like an eye onto the women's division, that I slightly disagree with. For me, it was NXT, the NXT women's division that started doing that just a tad more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But concerned- those, I love all of them. Yeah, definitely concerned the entering product. NXT did, was a step above the main roster in that regard because they gave their woman time with the takeover specials, with the 
NXT television shows, which were on the network. So they had free reign to be as long as they want and they could edit it in a certain way where, you know, they didn't have to rush time. They didn't have their time cut. They didn't have 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden it's four minutes by the time they get into a ring. You know, mm-hmm. and then like sometimes it was 90 seconds as well. But let's go back to the Bellas for a second, because they really were, whether people like to admit it or not, they were trailblazers in their respective divisions. And one of the criticisms that they get is because of the people they're either married to or dating at that time. They don't deserve the opportunities that they were given. Do you think like that's not the case obviously but them being paired up with top wrestlers do you think it it helped their position or do you think they would get as famous as they were regardless of that i legitimately believe and this is someone who in my heart of hearts character wise it's it's screw the bella twins to the day i die but in reality for nikki and brie these women, I feel like, would have done a little bit more if they weren't known to have been connected to the men that they were connected to, like John Cena, like Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, whatever way you want to call him. Because for a long time, I I believe Brie is the one that's with Brian. So Nikki. Nikki, for a long time, would get hindered because people just assumed that she was where she was because she was with John Cena. And I legitimately feel in my heart that Nikki and John didn't want as many eyes on their relationship as there was. But WWE loves a good Mm storyline. We all remember what happened with with Seth and Becky when they started dating. They didn't want it on television as much as it was, but WWE kind of pushed it. And I really do believe that that's what happened with Nikki and John specifically because Daniel and Brie were dating. They were together. They didn't get as much TV time as Nikki and John did because it's John Cena. I legitimately feel like if Nikki and Brie just had the Divas show and not the joint show where it was them as the sisterhood plus their partners, I feel like they would have done just as well because they're very charismatic. They're very business oriented. They're smart. They're willing to do what they need to do to get themselves sharper in the ring. These women are willing to work. And at the end of the day, when you're passionate about something, especially your craft, if you're willing to put more hours into it, you're only bound to get better. I feel in my heart that if they would have never been associated with their partners, they would have been a little bit less ridiculed and a little bit more respected in the world of wrestling because people would have seen that it was them the whole time and there wasn't any aid in terms of their romantic partners. And let's go to the uh, antithesis at that time to the Bella Twins that a lot of people like to point out with AJ Lee. AJ Lee, one of my favorite uh, divas, women's wrestlers of all time, loved her character work. Uh, A year ago today, we talked about AJ Lee and her love square triangle with Daniel Bryan, Kane, and CM Punk, and really took something out of nothing to a lot of degree. And this is a woman who was told by a high executive, we're not going to name his name because he's already in enough trouble as it is, that she didn't look, and I'm censoring myself here, screwable enough to be a diva. She looked like somebody you could hang out with. 
like you were chill you're too much of a nerd you know what i mean that would just like play video games all day this is when playing video games in 2012 was so taboo and now we have how many channels that make a profit off of playing video games you know and- that are mostly like all, like there there are wrestlers that are on these channels that have these channels now it's insane to me yeah so she really did take something out of nothing like she was the quote unquote crazy girl you know and she played what wwe perceived crazy for a while and then she had an awesome pairing with uh, dolph and big e that i thought ended way too short but dolph was way too popular at that time and they probably just wanted to keep biggie and aj heel but aj lee in my opinion broke that glass ceiling when it was firmly in place like it was aj it was caitlin to a certain degree Eve, uh, Eve Torres, those were like the three I think were like mm-hmm. the transitional phase from uh, the Divas era to the women's wrestling era that we would later be known. So they're like in this awkward in-between phase where I think they have a step in both directions. What were your thoughts on this era of the AJ Lee, the Caitlin's, the Eve Torres's? AJ will always have a special place in my heart because um, I've read her book, Crazy is My Superpower. If you have not read it, I greatly suggest it to anyone, especially if you're going through something mentally. This young woman legitimately loves the business. She's always loved the business. Um, Started young, training. I believe she worked with and also dated Jay Lethal. She worked with Byron Saxton in the indies. Like she's, she's, the image in people's heads when they say they want a women's wrestler, not someone who was plucked from a Victoria's Secret magazine, but someone who's legitimately homegrown. And when she eventually got on to television, she was at a very young age. I believe she was 18 when she started. So to be told at that very young, impressionable age that you're not screwable enough to be taken seriously as a diva is insanity to me, unfortunately. They took her mental issues that she goes through and still goes through to this day and tried to market them as a cartoonish Looney Tune style depiction of bipolarism. And she refused to do that. So I give AJ and the women in this era, like Caitlin, like Eve Torres, the torch in the terms of these are the women that were willing to say no. Mm-hmm. At least to my knowledge, because I haven't heard any stories otherwise in terms of the other young ladies. Um, but AJ is one of the very first women I remember stories of her being pitched these abhorrent storylines and her being like, I'm not going to do that for both myself and for my character. I refuse to do that. Showing that kind of, that kind of self self care to a point where you're not going to let them break down your character or who you are for the sake of the 18 to 35 demographic viewership. And I give them such big credit for that, where they were willing to dig their heels into the ground and not let their characters be changed for anybody. AJ Lee started off the same as she ended in terms of her character. Mm -hmm. Slight growth, but there was never a big um, costume change or, or skin change in terms of who she was. It was always AJ Lee. It was always Caitlyn. It was always Eve Torres. So I give these women the credit, the torch, the reward in terms of these are the ones that were willing to stick to their guns and they made WWE in certain ways work around them. Mm -hmm. And not everyone could do that. 
Especially, so that was the beginning of the women starting to kind of fight back in a way is the best way I can say it. Especially because I believe those were the last three women who had romantic storylines to a certain degree on the show. Because mm-hmm. AJ had, gosh, she had Brian. Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> Caitlin had Big E and then Eve Torres had the Zack Ryder John Cena thing that started her heel turn. Then she became like an excellent character on television as a result. The only problem with that is is after eve lost the divas championship she left after caitlin lost the divas championship a couple months later she left and then aj lee she left about a year or two later after that mostly due to mm-hmm. injuries but it was a changing of the guard and now we're engulfed in like the total divas era where it was that weird phase where it's like you're either total divas or you're like the other <laughs> divas and it was like a civil war which was really odd and strange to me but let's go back to nxt where the women were given a lot more opportunity to show character and they were given like actual character and gimmicks they weren't just be like hey we're eye candy we're hot we're this and it was a great rehel bit uh rehel built a great place for someone like natalia to go back and really show her stuff when she wasn't getting her just due same thing with tyson kidd when he went back and really elevated the division as well and now we have you know sasha banks bailey charlotte flair becky lynch summer ray all these different uh divas at the time really changing the way people look at women's wrestling at least in a wwe level like we mentioned before tna was the first to kind of do it but now nxt was the place where it was now being cultivated and crafted and appreciated by a sample size audience of full sale. Did you think that's exactly what needed to happen where we needed a small sample size, like a full sale to really appreciate women's wrestling for what it is and what we see today? In terms of the size of full sale, I don't think it was the size of full sale that made that difference. I think it's just the people that were behind NXT. That was the difference. Um, uh, Big Daddy H, Papa H, as they called him back then, um, he loves those kids. He loves those kids. He loved the initial batch of NXT um, wrestlers that he had, the Tyler Breezes, the Fandangos, the Beckys, uh, Sasha's, B- uh, Bailey's, um, Paige when she was still Paige, Emma when she was still Emma. I think it's just the care that's taken to really just let these kids shine. There was this interview that I remember Vince saying um, that whenever a wrestler had an idea during the Attitude Era, all you had to do is just come to me and tell me about it and we can work it out and, I, and I'll do my best to try and put it on the screen. That was never really true. And we've learned it over the years that that was never really true. He, people would want us to believe it's so, but it's not. I honestly believe that Triple H was one of the first people in the WWE to legitimately mean it, where when you have something for your character, you come to me and we'll work it out. And listening to these young upstarts or people that were only really known on the indies, giving them these hot, passionate ideas and him legitimately taking these things and running with them and giving them time and letting them grow and 
you as the character, seeing your character being able to flourish in the way that you've always wanted it to flourish in, that makes you want to work harder, that makes them want to work harder for you. It's the passion and the love for the sport behind it. And that's why NXT Black and Gold era will always have a very specific place in my heart because that's what helps me get back into wrestling. That's what helped me find that love and that hunger for the product again is watching the Iron Man matches, the Iron Woman matches with Bailey and Sasha, um, NXT Takeover Brooklyn when Bailey finally wins the title off of Sasha Banks, um, Asuka and her incredibly done run with the title, her undefeated streak that had that that has never been seen beforehand or since. These moments are all NXT moments because they understand the importance of being able to give your workers a little bit of free reign with their own character. Because if we really think about it, the women in NXT that were in NXT that are now main roster people, they're not the same. It's the same character, it's the same look, but it's not the same level of passion behind it because there's a lot more people involved now. There's a lot more cooks in the kitchen. But NXT was absolutely necessary, both Full sale and the crowd that loved those people enough to the point where they were there every single week. They themselves turned into characters that helped and aided the show become as big as it was. So much so to the point where NXT was its own thing during Survivor Series. They were their own demographic in the matches. That's how big they became. And I will always love NXT for showing people and reminding people that these women who put in the time, who put in the blood, sweat, and tears are just as worthy of the accolades that the men are. And I'll always be indebted to NXT for that. Mm-hmm. NXT definitely is a very important part in not only WWE, but just wrestling in general for taking the best of all aspects of wrestling, whether it's the WWE production style, the independent wrestlers that were coming through NXT, plus the development they were having in NXT for their own signed stars to become main roster superstars in their own right. And with the Divas transitioning into the women's division, and it really did kind of start. And it started, ironically, after UFC had their women uh, fight in the octagon as well. Why do you think it took so long for WWE to capitalize on women's wrestling? That is a very, very, very good question. Um, because if you really think about it, Attitude Era into Ruthless Aggression, I really don't remember any major women's merchandise being sold. I don't remember Trish Stratus having any major t-shirts being sold, Lita, Mickey James, anything of the sort. But I think it's when, once again, I credit it to NXT, especially for WWE in particular, where they kind of lost that ignorant fog over their eyes and they realized like, wow, women also watch this product and pay attention to this product. It's amazing what happens when you show, when you show your women's characters respect. I'm not going to watch something where I feel like if I were in a similar position that I would be treated badly. I wouldn't want to do that or have that happen for any woman. I love women too much for that. But seeing a place where women can flourish and women can thrive and women can build and learn and grow, I would love to be involved with that. So I tune in every week. I get emotionally invested. I become sympathetic to my characters that are my favorites when they fail. I become angry when they're turned on. I cry and I cheer when they succeed. It's, it's, it's media. 
it's media. It's, it's scripted media. If you want people to care about your character, you put work into the character. Mm-hmm. Like with Game of Thrones, you if you want people to care about Jon Snow, you're not going to shorthand the script on Jon Snow. You're going to give it everything you got to make sure that people give a damn about the character that you want them to give a damn about. So for them to finally realize that, oh, if we actually put work into these women, the women will come, very much a field of dreams situation. It's unfortunate that it took so long, but I'm glad that it finally did. And I'm glad that they finally got that knock upside their head that they so badly needed to realize that all you have to do is just put a little a, a little bit of respect and love into the product and the people will come. The people will spend the money. It will happen. You have to care first. It's not us. It's you as the people who are making the show that have to care first. And now that it's finally happening, it's been a complete 180 and I'm so happy for it. Now we're at a point where we're discussing which women should be pushed and should be on television when before, back in Ruthless Aggression, back in Attitude, that wasn't even a conversation. You just kind of accepted which women was going to be in the title hunt because there weren't many options. Now there's a plethora of options and there's even women's tag titles. Now how they're being portrayed is a different conversation entirely, but there's still more options for the women. And to answer your question about the merchandise thing, Trish Stratus, when she left, she had the last T-shirt. Uh, I believe it was like the uh, what, what what was the thing like? Uh, anyway, she had the last T-shirt. Trish Stratus was it one hundred percent Stratisfaction? Was that it? It was either that one or the the Let's Do It like T-shirt with the Trish mm-hmm. on the cover. And what's funny is Trish Stratus was the last person who had merchandise, and we didn't get female merchandise until AJ Lee. So Trish Stratus left in 2006 and then AJ Lee first got her love bites t-shirt in 2013, 2012. So it's a, it was a year's drought at that point. But now, like you said, we're in such a better place with the women on the roster with not only just the merchandise aspect, just the television aspect as well. When do you think the main roster really took that shift? We talked about NXT kind of sparking that fire, but when did the main roster really respect the women as characters in their television product? Honestly, I want to say right before the WrestleMania where it was Becky and Sasha and Charlotte, that we're going to have the triple threat match for the newly made women's title. Um, The storyline progression to that really did start it because it wasn't perfect. It wasn't there yet, but that is where it kind of started. And I think where it really hit for me, at least it's when Becky turns on Charlotte I believe it was a triple threat match between Carmella, Charlotte, and Becky for the title. Mm -hmm. And this is the beginnings of Becky turning into the man. I think that's when it really starts. Because for me, at least, some of the people who I love the most are not the most well-versed in wrestling. But they were able to see, like, wow, this is a friend who's been pushed to the side for Charlotte forever. And now she finally has her shot and Charlotte's not backing her up. They weren't looking at them as women's wrestlers. They were looking at them as just wrestlers, as just characters in the show 
alongside of everyone else. There was no separation. There was no pink tax on it. There was nothing. It was them supporting the character in their storyline and having that be it. And Becky finally having enough in her to say, no, this is enough. This is my time. I'm breaking away and leading it into the moment where Naya breaks her orbital bone and she's standing amongst the crowd, arms open, blood dripping down her face. It's very much the moment of Austin with the red mask when he's in the when he's in the submission hole with Bret Hart. We all remember that image that's ingrained in our brains as wrestling fans forever. Becky now has that torch. And I guarantee you, no one probably would think that an image that's striking would be in the women's division, but it belongs to Becky as it should. And that's when people started really seeing the women's division as just an extension of the superstars, as opposed to it being its own thing. As you were saying earlier, it's no longer its own subsection. They're part of the rest of the roster, just like everyone else, just as it always should have been. But I really think that moment with Becky finally broke everything away and just made it about wrestling, which is what it should always be about in the sports entertainment. That image with Becky just blood dripping down her face, her nose, and really just standing amongst the crowd really was the turning point for the perception because at that time they brought in Ronda Rousey to quote unquote legitimize it. But I think that was the moment where a lot of people realized where we can actually have stars that we don't need to call outside among the WWE walls. We mm-hmm. don't need a Ronda Rousey. Like Ronda Rousey was great in her first year. But after that, it's almost like she became inconsequential because the women themselves were the event now, as we see that they main event WrestleMania 35 with Becky, Ronda, and Charlotte. And I want to talk about Charlotte for a little bit because I've seen a lot of things online. I'm sure you've seen a lot of things online with a lot of criticism towards Charlotte Flair, her positioning, only being in her, in her position because she's a Flair And I think she's a great talent, great athlete. And I think she's top five in the WWE easily, hands down. Do you think Charlotte is hindered, not just by the flair name, but always being around the championship uh, picture? Because that's my biggest criticism, where she's not allowed to develop her character because she's in the championship picture so often. Do you think that is a valid criticism? And what other criticisms do you think are with the current women's locker room today. Charlotte's always, Charlotte's started off on the wrong foot, unfortunately, not for anything that's her own fault. Charlotte was born a flair. She could not control that. If I was born Ric Flair's daughter, I would probably do everything in my power to denounce it because of the stories that are attached with Ric Flair. But people fail to really remember, like you, Charlotte's amazing in the ring. Charlotte is actually incredible in the ring and there's no amount of silver spoon that's going to give you talent. That's going to give you athletic skill, strength. That's not how this works. So yeah, unfortunately there may have been an instance or two where Charlotte was given particular things because of her father's name. I'm certain I would love to believe in my heart of hearts that that's not what Charlotte would want, but you know, what are you going to do? Say no. But in order to keep that going, you have to be good at what you do because wrestling fans are not dumb. They're not always the smartest, but they're far from stupid. 
And in the age of, you know, the internet and, you know, like how quickly wrestling media has been spreading now, you really think that we're going to just stay quiet over someone who can't work? It would be everywhere if Charlotte couldn't work. Charlotte is an amazing worker. She's incredible. She's incredible. But it's very much what you said. She has to keep that queen persona because she's always in the title picture. Charlotte's never had like a side quest storyline with someone where she can develop her character. And it's highly unfortunate because I really feel like Charlotte's amazing in the ring. She could use maybe a little bit more work on the mic, a little bit more promo work. And a great way to do that is by a side quest mission that's not championship based, but because unfortunately uh, unfortunately of what her last name is, she's always going to be in the in the title picture whether or not she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Cuz I honestly legitimately think that Charlotte did incredible work in NXT character work. Because in NXT, she wasn't always around the title. She had to work to get to the title. But on the main show, it's completely different. If Charlotte was given the chance to do that, I know that she would jump on it immediately. Charlotte, to me, does not seem like the type that, would want to, that wouldn't want to do a lower storyline. Charlotte wants to work. Charlotte wants to grow. Charlotte wants to learn. Because if you really think about it, Charlotte's been on the main roster for what? Maybe not even close to 10 years? A little bit less? Just about, yeah. And she's already 14-time champion? Sounds about right. That's insanity to me. That's insanity to me. Charlotte Charlotte should be maybe at like title reign six or, you know, like seven or eight by now. But because the men are allowed to do other storylines, the women are allowed to do other storylines. Charlotte's the special case. She can't do it. Of course, she's going to be at this number by this point because they can only keep her trading titles back and forth with other people. And it's highly unfortunate because I remember how good Charlotte was in NXT. Not saying she's not great now, but you never stop learning. You never stop growing. I just want growth for Charlotte so bad because I can feel that she wants it as well. But let's see if WWE is going to be willing to give it to her because now we know that her husband was willing to jump to another company. She may be willing to do the same thing as well. Her father's not with WWE anymore. Her father's on the other show. (laughs) So So, we'll see what happens. Shilling out woo energy as one would do. Um, (laughs) Now that we are in the year 2024, what is your biggest criticism of the WWE women's division today? My biggest criticism is that they need to realize who they have. And it's always, it's in, in the back of my head, it's always been a very similar thing. They have more likely than not one of the best, if not the best women's rosters in the game right now between SmackDown, Raw, NXT. They have incredible talent at their fingertips at a moment's notice. You could have a Bailey versus Asuka match, an EO Sky versus Kyrie Sane match, Jade Cargill versus Bianca Belair, um, Tiffany Stratton versus Charlotte, these incredible women, and they do not use them to their full capacity. They have women's tag team championship titles that for the longest time, if I asked anybody off the top of their head who the women's championship title holders were for the tag team titles, no one can tell me. And these women work and they sweat and they build their character and they develop themselves and they do whatever they can to get 15 seconds of fame and you refuse to use them. 
To this day, I believe between Raw, NXT, and SmackDown in total, the women's division is maybe 17% of on-air TV time. Between a three-hour Raw, a two-hour SmackDown, um, I believe NXT now is one hour still. I think it's either one hour or two hours. Two hours, yeah. Two hours and and the PLEs. Mm -hmm. And you mean to tell me with all of this TV time, your women's division is 17% of your... TV time, it's in, it's it's unacceptable to me. When you're having backstage segments with Tazawa doing jumping jacks and Otis like talking to Chad Gable, and I love Chad Gable, I love Otis, I love them all, but you can't cut a comedy segment to have another women's match or develop a woman's storyline or character or something. That's why I really appreciate NXT because they still do vignettes. They still do character moments where they're not in the back. They're not in the locker room. They're out and about in the world treating these characters as real people because that's what they are. These people are real people. And they're giving them these real moments where you can connect with them on an emotional level. And it makes you care. I don't care about half of these women on the roster on the main shows, not because I don't want to, but they don't give me anything to chew on. They don't give me anything to work with. A lot of people didn't start caring about Bailey until two months ago. When the when the eventual decline of damage control started to show its real face around. Bailey's been doing everything since the hugger gimmick. Bailey is what helped carry the women's division through the Thunderdome era. Her and Asuka are helped what carried the women's division through the th through the Thunderdome era. You don't have anything for Asuka? For Kana? Are you kidding me? You don't have anything for, for Kyrie Sane, for EO Sky, for Jade Cargill, who's probably one of the biggest free agents in the women's wrestling world ever. You don't have anything for these people. It takes for these women to leave and build their and build their brand and for you to be like, oh, that was my bad. And for them to come back for you to get your stuff together. Absolutely not. They need to realize what they have now because now there's other places for these women to play. WWE is not the only game in town anymore. TNA is building up themselves. Ring of Honor is getting bigger. AEW is getting bigger. New Japan is really starting to try to get more money into these contracts to get these people to stay. WWE is not the only game in town anymore. And a lot of these wrestlers are starting to realize that loyalty does not mean anything in a world like wrestling. In a world like WWE, loyalty will only get you but so far. This is a job. If there's someone that will treat you better, if there's someone that will pay you more, if there's someone that will give you more TV time, you go do it. Because with the amount of passion and work that you're putting it into, for you to be seen 10 times out of a 365-day work year, absolutely not. If you need to jump ship, jump ship, if that's what you feel the need to do. And if your fans really care about you the way that they say the way that they say they do, they'll follow you and they'll want the best for you. But that's my personal opinion on it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's true, you know, where it's the first time in a long time that WWE isn't the only game in town, and there are many different places to work and work on your craft and hone your your craft. Like we were talking about Trinity Naomi before, you know, rebuilt herself in TNA. She's now back in WWE. But to leave one company to then go to another company to reestablish yourself, reestablish your net worth to just to go back to the other company that didn't see value in it, it shouldn't really have to be like that. But sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. Oh, and absolutely. That's exactly what happened with Naomi. 
possibly could happen with Mercedes if she ever chooses to go back to WWE or a fresh new start, like you said, uh, for Mercedes Monet or Sasha Banks in AEW or wherever she decides to go. Uh, another interesting thing you said, you know, uh, when you said that women's wrestling only accumulates to 17% of all cross Raw, SmackDown, NXT, do you believe that uh, all women's show would be viable for WWE to use? Or do you think it's since we're only have so many hours in the week, do you think they don't need another hour of television and that the hours that they have is just enough? My biggest fear is that if they were to do an all women's show, the women would be just put back right into where they were beforehand, which is a sideshow product, which is the, which is the circus. Like, like look at all the women we have they're on tuesdays look at all the women we have they get an hour look at all the women we have they get one pay-per-view out of an entire year out of 12 months they'll get a pay-per-view which is what they did with evolution they did evolution once and never again and it was a great moment when we thought it was going to happen more than once but now we look back on it and it was a gimmick and i don't want these women to be relegated to gimmicks these women deserve to be on these shows that we've loved for for ages. Monday Night Raw is a brand unto itself. SmackDown is a brand unto itself. We know when you say those words, what the what the Titantron looks like, what the music sounds like, the color scheme. Like these are institutions that these women deserve to be part of. And they shouldn't have to be relegated onto a separate show. We all remember what happened with 205 Live. The Cruiserweight Classic did gangbusters, amazing work, amazing talent, um, people that came up that no one thought would succeed, Cedric Alexander being cheered to get signed, TJ Perkins willing the whole thing, DIY having their incredible emotional match between two best friends that had to fight each other to, to continue on and you know, like you were scared that something was going to happen, but at the end of the day, friendship run you know rules overall and they ended up fine. They thought that they were going to be able to do something with it with 205 Live. And then it just ended up being another Saturday night's main event where no one pays attention. They shoot it after SmackDown so you can see the crowd leaving the arena or they shoot it beforehand. So there's people piling in. No one's really paying attention. These women deserve attention eyes on them and what's going to make that happen them being on the main brands literally they just need to delegate their time more the judgment day segment doesn't need to run 15 minutes the moment with Miz and miss tv doesn't need to have a 10 minute spot grayson waller there doesn't need to be four different character television um interview segments on raw between kevin owens grayson waller Miz, and the judgment day once again, and it goes back to the writers caring about who they have and realizing just what talented people they have on their roster because they can make it happen. They just haven't been wanting to. And I really think it's going to take for some of these women to leave and become popping and run their numbers up for them to realize, oh, shit, people were paying attention. It was just our bad. And then they got to pay more money to get these women back. So if it takes WWE to be stupid for these women to get a bigger bag, that's what it's got to be. So WWE has to be the one to fix their women's division. The women are doing what they have to do. It's the higher ups that need to figure out how they need to handle them. 
You hear that, WWE? You got some uh, you got some work to do. You know, the work is never done. But I will give them credit. They did bring the women's division to present day to where they're legitimate attractions, even to last year, where, in my opinion, they had their match of the year and possibly wrestling's match of the year with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. The perfect way to pass the torch on to an up-and-coming star, in my opinion. A lot of people might feel... A different of that, like uh, the triple threat with the IC title was the match of the year. But my opinion, the women's match was my match of the year in general. And segueing off of that, what are your favorite women's matches? And do you recommend any of them? You mentioned the Bailey Sasha Iron Woman match. You mentioned the TakeOver Brooklyn match. Is Are those your top two picks or do you have others in mind? I absolutely do have others in mind. Um, Bailey versus Asuka for the NXT Women's Championship. I believe this is when Asuka wins the title. That I believe that was TakeOver Dallas. That match, character-wise for both women, incredible. Bailey passing out and not tapping to Asuka, beautifully done. The Iron Women's match, as you said, between Sasha and Bailey. The Brooklyn Takeover match between Sasha and Bailey. I honestly believe that if there's any chemistry that's had between any amount of workers, the four horsewomen, especially Bailey and Sasha, have some of the best in ring chemistry ever. Um, Shawn Michaels said something. I believe it was where he worked with Triple H for the SummerSlam match when he returned, um, when he was saved by Jesus. That when you work with your best friend, you don't have to worry about doing anything because you knew that you you know that you can do everything with your best friend. And you can read each other's minds and it just works. Sasha and Bailey have that have that simpatico mindset where they can just run a 15-minute match, not say a word, and it'll probably end up on like a solid three to four star system, Dave Meltzer style. Those women are absolutely incredible. Um, the work that China was doing when she was running with, um, I believe it was the IC title, those small matches that she was doing, especially when she was going up against people like Jericho, that was an incredible thing to see as a young woman, seeing that a woman could live in those spaces among the men and be successful and win. Um, those were great. I love those. But legitimately, my one, I think it was... It was the one where Becky beat Charlotte for the title. Not the three-way at WrestleMania 35 when Becky beat Charlotte for the title the first time. When she eventually started turning into, yes, Hell in a Cell, thank you. When she finally made that full transition into what would become the man Mm -hmm. and seeing Becky just flourish and glow and revel in that crowd reaction when she when that bell rang and she was handed her title and Charlotte goes to shake her hand and Becky raises the title in her face instead and walks off that is one of my favorite if not my favorite women's match just because knowing where Becky came from in real life and the fact that she almost lost her job unless she was willing to do that damn lucky charms gimmick in NXT going from that to one of the biggest names in wrestling overall, not just as a woman, but overall, seeing that just makes me prideful 
knowing that as a woman, I can have something that I can be proud of. I can turn on the TV. I can show my interest to somebody and not have it be delegated to a Halloween costume match or a bra and panties match, but these legitimate heroic her Herculean bouts between these women and be proud of these things and have women and other people watch these matches and be amazed and in awe and just look and be like, yes, that's why I love this sport. That's why I love these women. That's why I've been a fan since I was four years old and it's going to take a lot for me to stop watching wrestling. And I love it to death. I love that match to death. If there's any match I would support people watching, it's anything with Asuka and it's the Hell in a Cell between Becky and Charlotte. And I do uh, want to add to the Becky and Charlotte match because that's actually my favorite match, not the Hell in a Cell one, but their last woman standing match at Evolution. I thought it was a tremendous piece of work and was a lot of criticism because Charlotte didn't take the pinfall loss, but Hey, when's a win? When is mm-hmm. a win? You know, and those ladies showed out and both of them respectively are still showing out. Becky Lynch had an incredible year last year. Charlotte doesn't really miss that much in my opinion. And we're going to see what this year will bring both of these ladies with new uh, female faces like a Jade Cargill, a Bianca Belair and a, uh, now a tr- Tiffany Stratton that's newly on SmackDown who we love her. We love her here. We stand. Tiffany I want Stratton nothing but here. the best for my Tiffy Tiffy. I oh. love her so much. All right. Final. And- oh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say like, <laughs> I was going to say that, that, that Tiffany is that perfect. Tiffany is a wrestler that's slowly healing my inner child because she's the combination of everything I've ever loved. It's wrestling and then all the cute pink feminine things that I felt like I wasn't able to like because I was a wrestling fan and wrestling fans don't like pink. Tiffany is going to be able to show this next generation of young women who are going to end up being fans that you can like whatever you like this next generation of women's wrestlers, these NXT up and comers, Bailey, the, you know, like Sasha, Charlotte, you can be whoever you want to be and you will still belong here. And that's what I've always wanted. So knowing that this generation going on into the future is going to help these young girls feel more comfortable liking the things that they like and not feeling bad for it. I'm incredibly excited to see what happens. All right. Final question. We went over the Attitude Era, the Ruthless Aggression Era, the PG Era, the Divas Era, and now the current crop of talent era. I want you to choose five women all across the eras. They don't need to be in order, but who would you consider your favorites? All right. Um, From Attitude Era, I would honestly say that it's Jacqueline. Um, if you are unaware of who Jacqueline is, please, God, look up her work, her work in WCW, her work in WWE. She was incredibly athletic. She was gorgeous. And I honestly, to this day, do not feel like she got as much as she could have deserved. Um, she's Hall of Fame. I'm very proud of her, but I loved Jacqueline in terms of ruthless aggression. I really do want to say... Um, that, let me see, Ruthless Aggression, honestly, it would go to Beth Phoenix. I believe Beth Phoenix was more or less Ruthless Aggression. Yeah, she did. I would give it, I would give it, I would give it to Beth Phoenix for Ruthless Aggression. Just once again, based off of 
her body type, her in-ring work, the fact that she was able and willing to do character work and comedy work with Santino, and she did as well as she did. Um, PG era? PG era. Hmm. PG era? I would give it to... Wait, Michelle McCool was cool, was toning down in PG era, correct? Or am I getting my or am I getting my timelines mixed? Uh, yeah, t- technically she debuted in Ruthless Aggression, but she really her first Divas Championship when she was the first Divas Champion was the PG era, technically. Yeah. So she was, and her Lay Cool stuff was PG era. So yeah, there we go. Yep, the work that she did with Lay Cool, Mickey James, I really do appreciate Michelle McCool. She's another very much unsung hero for me. Um. After that, it would go into AJ Lee. I love AJ. I will always love AJ um, on a personal level, just based off of where she's from, the things that she's gone through in her personal life, to end up as successful as she was. AJ's it for me. And in terms of current day, it's Bailey. It's Bailey. And I love all of the four horsewomen. I love Asuka. I love... Tiffany Stratton, I do, but Bailey has done everything. Bailey's been champions. Bailey's held tag team titles. Bailey is respected in the back, not only by the women's division, but also by the suits. Bailey does production. Bailey sticks in on meetings. Bailey is gonna, I honestly believe, become a lifer. If they treat her correctly and they use her talents correctly, I can see her being a Serena Deeb mm. for the up and coming women. Bailey is a Bailey has a wealth of knowledge and talent that if they allow her to go free reign, there's no limit to what Bailey can do. We know that she can sell face. We know that she can sell heel. We know that she's good on the mic. We know that she's good in the ring. There's nothing really else you can ask for in a worker than you can ask for out of a Bailey. Bailey is my absolute overall favorite. I will love her to death to the day I die. All right, that is quite a list. Very good list, very good picks. Bailey, Beth Phoenix, all these women trailblazers. Now, it's time to wrap up this episode of Wrestling Retold and Relive with Richie Mars. Chrissy, thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything you want to plug? Go ahead, the floor is yours. Well, babies, once again, my name is Chrissy Tina, Chrissy Tina 16 on TikTok and other various social media platforms. I do NXT Rewinds every every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This upcoming uh, Saturday, today, actually, we're watching NXT TakeOver 25. I'll be working with Richie on one very soon. And yeah, just remember, wrestling is always way better with friends. I do have a podcast as well, Wrestling with Friends with my best friends, James, Stephen, Beery. And yeah, just be nice to each other. It's just wrestling. I couldn't have said it any better myself. All right, this is Richie Mars. You can follow us on the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you can follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, or X, and tiktok at retold richie mars i'm your host richie mars see you next time ttfn tata for now